Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sorry about the noise. My neighbor's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. The award-winning Crunch Time. In terms of the big codes, AFL, NRL, things like that, they're both working through states and territories presently. They're in different phases of where they're up to on that and what we'll be doing and what particularly what the medical expert panel will be doing, will be drawing their proposals together. There's a bit of harvesting again that I think would occur from that process, which, is, which will be good. I think people would, would, would welcome uh, seeing these things happening again. Is there any chance of the footy happening in June? There's a chance that the move is always to try and open things up if the epidemiology allows it. We're clearly moving to lower and lower cases week on week. That's a good sign. Uh, but today is a demonstration that you can get explosive outbreaks and, and sometimes these spill over into the community. Uh, so we have to be mindful that things could change uh, in the wrong direction over the next month. Uh, but, you know, I'd hope that there are possibilities for a whole uh, number of things to, to restart. We're trying to get a plan that has the health and safety of our, of our players and all the officials and the community at, at heart. It shows social leadership, so it's endorsed by government as well as the, uh, the health officers that something they want to happen. And then obviously logistically can work so we can get our uh, the 144 remaining home and away games by and then final. So, and there's obviously all the considerations about players, the logistics and everything that sits in that. So yeah. we're, we're working on that. The National Cabinet poised to take a leading role in guiding sport back to action as the AFL delays its timeline until the state of emergency and the current level of restrictions are formally reviewed. So we've got a few options in front of us. They range from one hub with 18 teams sort of together, playing obviously have maybe two, three stadiums for a season. And then there's an opportunity to have maybe up to three hubs with, say, six teams in, in each hub located um, in different states. So I think we're going to have to have our, we're going to have to open our eyes to that possibility that you know there's certain hubs around the state where that is. I have absolutely no idea, but I, I think that would be probably one of the, the few ways to set a date to actually start up. And look, it certainly would be difficult for me and, and my family. But yeah, look, I've got a, I've got a job as well that I need to to go out and do. To be honest, I'm still really sort of up in the air about it a little bit. Some days I'll be like, oh, I really, I'd really struggle away from my family, and and then I think, oh, look, the I was probably going to come to some sort of agreement as well with, with guys like me. And- I might have an asterisk for a good reason because this is this is going to be a challenging one and how players and, and staff and football clubs are handling not just when we come back but this whole period now. Um, if you win the flag this year, um, you, you've certainly earned it. Only a lunar hub was left out of this week's wildly fluctuating debates but the league is hedging toward Olympic-style accommodation and an extraordinary level of testing to get the season underway. This is the Anzac Day edition of Crunch Time.
It has become our national day like no other, one that brings us together in a spirit of commemoration and remembrance. But it is an Anzac Day like none of us have experienced before. The dawn service on a laptop or your phone, candles at the top of the driveway or out in the street. There's no march, the beers will be via Zoom and the two up will be virtual and we are missing the biggest home and away fixture on the calendar. Remember when the debate was, imagine if we were playing in front of empty stands on Anzac Day, what we wouldn't give for that this afternoon. Jared Waitley with you on this Anzac Day, on crunch time, joined by our red energy experts for this afternoon for Australian electricity and gas. Sam Edmonds, welcome to you. Good afternoon, Jerry. Good to be with you this afternoon. I hope everyone's had a fantastic Saturday morning. You mentioned Anzac Day there, Jared, and lest we forget, of course. But remember, it was all about the fondue. Then it was about the teppanyaki grills. Now all the rage are fire pits in the backyard. But going on a walk this morning around my local hood, Jared, those fire pits had been relocated to the driveway for some dawn services, which you'd love to see, don't you? So people... Days like this ram home the unprecedented nature of life at the moment, I suppose. But days like this also show people and their willingness to think outside the box and, and create some magic on days like this. It was great to see the fire pits in driveways in uh, my neck of the woods this morning. There is a beautiful sense of community around, as if you've seen some of the pictures online as chalk drawings out on streets and candles on and lampposts and the like on, on sitting on letterboxes. And um, everyone who's got a brass instrument has, has sort of joined the chorus to play the last post. So there are inventive ways, and the AFL is going to be part of that uh, in an hour's time as well. Liam Pickering, welcome to you. Hello, Jared. Hello to you, Sammy. It, uh, yeah, it's a... It's a it's a fabulous day to, to remember the soldiers, isn't it? Anzac Day. It's one of my favourite days of the year, I must say. And uh, it's strange without football, but I mean that's just one part of it, I guess. And 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 we'll still be able to celebrate, you know, the soldiers and you know everyone who's done what they have for this country over the last uh, hundred years, really, and uh, hundred odd years. And um, yeah, so I would have thought that uh, you know our country has become uh, very patriotic when it comes to this day. And for those veterans who, I mean, because of the age group, they'll find themselves somewhat isolated. There's been huge efforts made to ensure that they're bound together in some way today using technology, using phone calls to, yeah. to make sure that the spirit of the day, which which for many we know is the, the highlight of the year, is, is not lost because of the restrictions that we're currently living through. Yeah, and I think it's fantastic that, uh, that, that people are still... You know, and this Zoom sort of age that we're we're currently living in, I think that's that's giving us uh, giving people great access because I heard a couple of the people you were interviewing this week on the radio and and Dwayne as well, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of lonely people. This is their chance to catch up with their mm. with their former comrades, if you like, and you know, if it's the only way we can do it is via Zoom, well, that's it's better than than not having it at all. And there is a service that's coming from the MCG. It was filmed during the week. The RSL president, Dr. Robert Webster here in Victoria, gave us an insight into what to expect when this goes live at one o'clock. It's in the cavernous, empty stadium. It it echoes. You can imagine, Sam, the bugle echoes. It's spine-tingling when there's 90,000 people absolutely hushed there but from those who were there for this say it's it's almost haunting in the way that it happens to the empty mcg 
Oh, it would be, wouldn't it? Anyone who's ever been to the MCG when it's empty, it takes on a totally different look, doesn't it? And a totally different sound. It's almost like a different facility altogether. Looking forward to watching this, Jared. And, and we're going to do something here as well. I'm sure a lot of our audience this morning will be figuring out how they can get their minute silence in with the kids this afternoon. We're certainly going to get something going here, Jared. But I think it was six VFL players died on this day back in 1915 as well. So footy has just, since 95, done such a great job of marrying uh, its sport with this day. And uh, we're going to miss it today, no doubt about that. So here's Dr. Robert Webster giving us an insight. This goes live at 1 o'clock. It goes live on the uh, AFL website. Uh, it's going to be played on Fox and on 7. So this is coming at 1 p.m. One of the things that uh, I noticed on when we were recording it is that, is that it echoes more. I think the sound must, even though it's silent, the sound must be absorbed by the bodies. But with an empty MCG, the reflection, the sound uh, bouncing back from the concrete was absolutely spectacular. So the commemoration, which will be broadcast at one o'clock. It does, from the football sense, as we know, the rhythms of the day are beautiful from the dawn service to the march and then uh, to, the, to the captivating nature of the ceremony at the MCG and then the game itself. It is the biggest home and away fixture on the calendar and has been for a couple of decades. So, Pickers, it does leave, it does leave quite the void this afternoon. Yeah, it does. That's for sure. I was uh, I was listening to uh, to the RSL president. You know, when I was as I was walking around the old Park Lake listening to you the other day. Actually, Jared, I was on the back straight, and um, I thought, yeah, he makes a good point, doesn't he? We've all been there early before big games, and the crowd hasn't arrived yet, but we're there broadcasting, and and then you see it fill up, and it's just a whole different place. And it's such a big venue when there's no one there. It's a massive venue, and. I'm actually looking forward to uh, to seeing how it comes up on the television. It'll be pretty eerie. It's the only day, um, Sam, that sort of matches the the build out on the terrace and what happens inside the MCG is is Grand Final Day. It, it's it's comparative in a slightly different way, but um, yes, when Essendon and Collingwood come there, and there's so many people who that, that's their annual day. There, it, it has become a pilgrimage, like like Boxing Day and the like, to be a part of it. So I, I do. It'll be missed this afternoon. Oh, 100%, Jared. As I said, the sport's done such a magnificent job of, of tying what it does so well with uh, Anzac Day, which is obviously a far greater purpose and day and cause beyond football. But such has been the marriage between the two since 1995. Now, they, they're they in total lockstep. I think uh, the dawn service, the walk to the MCG, uh, everything associated with it, and so many great stories of the game itself over time. Of course, you never get tired of watching that 95 draw. Mason Cox making his debut on the day. You know, David Zarakis. So I mean, there's so many great moments on the day itself. It's a it's a grand final in April, isn't it? And uh, we won't get it today. And it does take your mind forward somewhat to the grand final whenever it is we might get it this year, Jared. And something we haven't spoken about for good reason because we're focused on what's in front of us is a grand final without fans is just going to be totally bizarre. Mm, mm. And that's, you know, that does shape as our reality for the time being. It's funny. So the path back, just, just on, sorry, Jared, just on that. Uh, do you remember where you were with that, that, that draw? I mean, I, I remember we were at training. <laughs> we had training that day and, and we were getting ready to go out and have a normal training session. It was like on a Wednesday or something. And yeah, and all of a sudden it's like, hang on, there's a game on. <laughs> this is how weird it was. <laughs> and so we're getting stripped and ready to train and the whole team's watching this Eston and, and Collingwood 
finish, which was a thrilling game, and they were both pretty good sides. Um, but they were opponents for us. So, you know, I, I certainly remember where I was when that day was on. Were you guys broadcasting? No, I was at Ballarat, and we were listen- We were in and out of different things and listening on the radio and heard the end. And then Channel 7 played the full replay Yeah, that they night. did. That's right. They did, and too. That's, that's where I saw it. So we'd heard during the, um, the build-up of the lockout, which it sort of all became per- a perfect part of folklore, didn't it? There were... There was such a take-up to it that there was a lockout and then it finished in a draw. So the vibe had built throughout the day and then Seven was so taken, quite rightly, so taken by what had, by what had um, been um, unfolded. They played the whole game again later that night. Yeah, it was a, it was a staggering. There are things that you remember and that, that was it. How the, As you said, the, the, the game built up throughout the course of, of the afternoon and not unlike, not unlike the World Series cricket when they had the lights yes. on. Remember at the SCG and all of a sudden all these people... And Kerry Pack, oh, throw the gates open and let everyone yeah. in. You know, it's it, it becomes uh, look. It's one of those ones you'll never ever forget. That's for sure. Where were you, Sam? I was sixteen, Jared. I was probably trying to uh, blend in with the cool kids down at the uh, local <laughs> half pipe with the skateboard. I think I can't recall. I don't. We didn't get every game on the box back then, but I don't recall sitting down and watching. And I reckon I might have had the uh, Slurpee from Seven Eleven. I was down. Uh, with the skateboard and half pop, I you had a you had a face full of pimples. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. No, nothing much has changed either. Oh, you can dear. share your recollections with us as well. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you were there, if you were locked out, what do you recall of that first day? Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen is the text as well. So the path back to this season, as the AFL quite rightly and, and cleverly, has, has pushed the timeline on its announcement in behind what the government is doing. So May 11 is the key day in this. That's when the state of emergency gets reviewed and there's every hope that it will be lifted. And with that will potentially come the first layer of easing of restrictions. And part of that is going to be what the country looks like, is mm. will the borders of Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, Tasmania be opened. You could do a whole lot of planning now, which was made redundant immediately that those decisions are made on May 11, Sam. I tell you what, May 11, Jared, is the only certainty we have because you talk about it being a path back to football. The reality is, uh, picks as well, it's, it's a maze back to football. And there... That many different scenarios laid out. Now, speaking to a big Victorian club last night and one of their key officials, he said when Steve Hocking spoke to the footy managers on Thursday, he said there were 20. That was the number he gave. He said the AFL have 20 different scenarios they're working on. And can you believe this? This person said that despite all the talk about hubs, on Thursday was the first time the clubs were formally presented with the concept by the AFL. So read into that what you will. They've got a massive survey uh, booklet in front of them, the AFL. They surveyed the clubs last week, and they've come out of that with a 100-page document that covers everything from a return to playpan, talent pathways, what the industry priorities are after five years, after 10 years as well. And meantime, you've got the AFL Players Association who say they've been told very little. They're awaiting a bit more information as well, Jared. And then when they get that, hopefully some stage early next week, they will then send their own survey out to the 800-odd players that will cover hubs, of course. Not a yes or no question, but just various questions around the concept. And then they will be in possession of... uh, basically the opinion of the playing group as well. So lots to play out in the next week or so. But, uh, boy, the amount of speculation has been yeah. incredible. 
So what you've just said doesn't... I heard you say it last night with Kane as well, Sam. That, that doesn't surprise me because, frankly, it's been exhausting trying to follow the, the oh. level of of possibility and like everything bar the Lunar Hub got a run this week <laughs> is there was one day where there was nothing in Melbourne and the next day when everything was in Melbourne is it doesn't shock me at all that there are 20 possibilities on the table and trying to refine that down to one so why would you I mean what did Dennis Pagan used to say show me the baby yeah um it, wait, wait till you've got yeah. <laughs> wait till you've got something, and this is true for the players as well. This is why I'm hugely sympathetic to any player who's prepared to say at the moment that they have misgivings because yeah. you get absolutely clobbered if you say it. Yeah, but I, there is no level of detail on which to make an informed decision at the moment. Right. So I think it's perfectly human to go. Oh, I I just don't know about this because frankly they don't know about it. Yeah, I had a player. Who I didn't hear Jack's comments, Jack Rearwald's comments, because he's got a little one, and yeah. I heard I, I've heard his comments since, but I hadn't heard him at the time. And one of my players, you know, who who, who plays on him actually, <laughs> he said, "I don't know, Jack, but what he said is spot on." He said, "It's just common sense that if we have to disappear for six weeks, it's not going to be easy when you've got little kids." Like, I mean, it's a common sense thought thought process that I think Jack was was actually saying, and I'm not sure why people would jump on you for saying. For saying that, because, I mean, everyone's different. We're not all going to have everyone agreeing on what, what the best scenario is. It's just we'll have to deal with it the best we can. And I know, so I think, Jared, yep, Kane Corns is, is, is big on this. He's driving back across the border at the moment, but his opinion is players should suck it up and play for the for the greater good or the greater cause, if mm. it were. But you're never going to get 800-odd players in, no, in unison with something like this, are you? So, and if they don't want to play in a hub-based environment, whatever that looks like, if it does happen to be strict, then they, they don't play. The world moves on, surely. I think the players will come into, if you want to call it in line, they'll do the right thing yeah, by the game. But I think you're entitled to make an informed decision and have misgivings around the, the level of theoretical stuff that's buzzing around. So, And was it um, Andrew Pridham last week likened any player who cast out on it to the World War One who um, soldier who wouldn't go to the Somme or ring me in a year's you know, time? It was a terrible thing a to say. That's a shocking thing to say. The players are entitled just to, to be told and to seek a level of reassurance. I think it will come. I genuinely think, so the idea of the Olympic Village style accommodation that's been spoken about today, um, there is a, there's both precedent and I think some comfort in that. So when it's a fully formed proposal and put forward, I think most people will go, yeah, mm. they, I, I see that. I, I see how that makes sense. But it is, at the moment, it's, it's, it's just words, isn't it? We don't know. Until we know what it looks like, I mean, it's very hard for players to, to make informed comments because they're just not informed. That's the reality. There's an interesting story, Jared, in the Adelaide Advertiser as well yesterday. Um, Stephen Marshall, the the Premier there, on the record with the Advertiser saying, look, we we don't know what has the greater risk. Is the greater risk, uh, you know, 40 players and officials flying in and out to games on a semi-regular basis? Or is it congregating five, 600 players and officials in the one hub over a period of time? So these are all the questions that the medical experts need to put some framework around, hopefully, in the next month. There's an incredible level of testing which is hinted at in the pieces that are, are written today is both sort of on the way in and in and out of every game is and that will have to be measured against what's acceptable to the broader community is if you have a group of footballers who are in the least susceptible group to the disease and they're getting the priority to testing you have to find your place 
in mm. that as well. The notion of having so much testing makes sense to a point, but not if it comes at the expense of any other group in the community once we hit winter and the potential of the second wave of this. No, 100%, Jared. And I mean, what we might get some temperature testing as well. We'll speak about this with Kane last night. I mean, will it be the testing that we know that's quite uh, invasive? And I know Scotty Pendlebury spoke. It's not a comfortable process having the, the testing done as well. And you want to make sure we have the kits, as have you, you say, that, have you had that your we te- can use. Have you had your temperature tested? It's not hard. It takes two seconds. <laughs> no, that that's what I'm saying. So we might have... There's two ways to test, apparently. And some um, industries are using the temperature test. There's been talk of, you know, the red dot on the forehead but then the more traditional test, which is the nasal swab, I think it might be, yeah. um, Jared, is a far yeah. more uncomfortable procedure, and you wouldn't want to undertake that too many times, I wouldn't have thought. I think that the jockeys have, have done an outstanding job around the country, and they have stayed home, they have isolated, and the measures that have been put in place have so far been successful. It's more difficult when you're crossing borders because that's what was shut down on a racing yeah, front absolutely. as quickly as possible. So that's the the variation in it. But I do think it's significant that the Prime Minister said yesterday this will all be undertaken by the National Cabinet to try to provide a framework. It wouldn't shock me if out of that the the NRL was pushed back and the AFL might be brought forward. It wouldn't surprise me if governments tried to land the two major codes together somewhere early in June. Yeah, well, we know the trailblazers of the NRL. We all know that. (laughs) They don't stop for anybody. They just go on their own old way. We talked about it last week. Yeah, one thing the clubs have been told categorically, Jared, and it was reported late last week, is the phase layout of the season. So one thing that might make it a bit more digestible or palatable for players, and we were speaking about this last night with Kane as well, is that the AFL has told the clubs that it will roughly split the season into three phases, or it'll be two finals plus a finals phase. So the earmarking of the hubs, as it were, will be the first phase. And then in an ideal world, admittedly, a lot of questions still and a lot of information still to come to hand on this. But the first phase is hubs. The second phase is, you know, more of a status quo or a traditional season as we know it. And then the finals phase as well, albeit all without fans. But they're trying to put some framework around the lifetime of the hub concept. Memories of Anzac Day 95, as well as our conversation around how to get footy back. Tom's in Seaford. Welcome to you, Tom. Jared panel. Uh, look, fantastic discussion. I really look forward to Saturday hearing you fellas. And, of course, uh, off the bench in the morning. But um, we, we, we went, uh, my wife's father saw heavy fighting in the 39th Battalion in New Guinea on the Kokoda, and he went with us. Um, it, we felt we were, we were lucky we had tickets. We felt... Where there was an expectation something special and unique was going to happen. It was a, 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 an eerie build-up and a feeling of, of just something just just waiting to happen. And, and I can remember, we follow the pies, but I can remember there was a big expectation. Uh, Bucks was pretty young. Essendon still had you know, elements of the 93 team. They were very, very good. Collingwood would probably win as the underdog. underdog. But we had... Dermy sort of uh, he barely yeah, was a kid, and, and he came home and he played a blinder, and he, he didn't yeah. get in the way of Sav, and they complimented each other, and it was it was a pendulum match going either way, and it was, you know, I mean, I think it was a bit unfair that said Bucks could have won in the last few seconds. I'm not quite sure, maybe, but but it was almost fitting in a tribute to the country itself and for the Anzac spirit and what they'd been through that it was a draw. Uh, and it, everyone felt that they'd witnessed something pretty spectacular and it set the scene for uh, a, a great, great, a bit like Hawthorne Geelong on Easter Monday, just a great, great 
event in the Australian sporting calendar and uh, we felt very, very privileged and lucky to be there. And you, you just had a, a feeling that it was going to be something big and, and it lived up to that. Jeez, it was a good and, game. Uh, the, the, Tommy. It was a great game, and people people excelled that perhaps you wouldn't have thought once they could have. But you know, we were very lucky and, uh, and to be there, and uh, I look forward to it every year. And uh, and it's just a great thing to do for the, the memory of those that served. Yeah, it was just per- like the draw. This is why you can't script sport pickers. If it had mm. been a ten goal blowout, I wonder if Collingwood and Essendon still have Anzac Day as it is right now. No, I don't think they would. I don't think they would, and I think they should have it. Uh, I've never wavered from the fact that Kevin Sheedy, you know, Sheeds comes up with a million different ideas, but this was a beauty, and he he's all about the history. Uh, Mick Moldass embraced it for a long, long time as well. Uh, and I think that Collingwood and, and, and Essendon, from a footy perspective, should always have the day to themselves. That, that's my view. Uh, obviously, if it lands on a Saturday, there's other games going to be on. Yep. But when it comes to a midweek game, it's Essendon and Collingwood for me. And I don't, I don't want to see any other teams on that day, to be honest. And I don't follow either of them. I just think that Tom. they've done such a great job with with what they've done. And, and, and you know what? Through a footy game, as silly as it sounds, through a footy game... There's been a hell of a lot more awareness around the importance of Anzac Day, and I think that's because there's so much publicity around the actual game that it it actually drives a publicity around what the actual significance of the day is. Yeah, I agree with that, and the way that it's been stitched into the day, and that was the the genius of Kevin Sheedy and the RSL was to move the dawn to the, the dawn service moves into the march, moves into the commemoration mm. at the MCG, drifts into the game, and yep. it's. For the most part, it's always held its place. There's been the odd year where football has tended to run ahead of what the meaning of the day was, and we see it, we recognise it, and we draw it back into its place. As Adam was, um, he was a 14-year-old and sat on the bottom level of the old Ponsford stand. After halftime, you literally couldn't go to the toilet with the amount of people sitting in the aisles. <laughs> An amazing day in childhood memory. And this Anzac Day lockout, car full of mates travelling from Bendigo, heard on the radio it was a lockout, did a U-turn, to the north and found a pub in Sunbury and watched the game there. And this, I'm a Carlton man. I was 15 and I was in the pocket in the southern stand with both Essendon and Collingwood mates. I was wrapped with the draw. That's from Aaron. It upset everybody. Perfect for a Carlton fan. Very nice. Uh, we'll continue our discussion around Anzac Day's past. The, the makeup of lists and what the pathway, which, so this is all the, the blank canvas thinking of the moment. Alistair Clarkson has had his say a short time ago. Ross Lyon chipped in during the week. So we'll get there on crunch time with Liam Pickering, Sam Edmund, and Jared Waitley next. But now a points bet update from Elliot Forbes. Points bet runs second, third, or even fourth in races one to six at Flemington this Saturday and get bonus bets back up to $50. Gamble responsibly. Here, looking ahead to a weekend of racing. Well, it does return to Flemington this weekend. We'll start off with race four over the 2600 metres, where we see Val declare the cup winner from last year, be very well supported at points bet. 225 when we opened, that price was quickly snapped up and now into even money at $2. Midterm was massive last start, running second, currently 16 with points bet. And if you're looking around the fave, Jack Regan as well. Last two start winners, solid at the $9 quote. Also, at Saturday at Flemington, the listed VRC St. Ledger, which comes up in race six. Royal Crown is your favourite here, but slightly easy. $3.50 when we opened at points bet, now out to $3.80. Sacramento has seen a little bit of money come for it. $5.50, now into five. And Lindali at longer odds has trimmed up as well. 
To check out these great offers and plenty more, download the PointsBet app today and sign up in less than one minute. You can jump onto pointsbet.com.au, download the app, and as always, please gamble responsibly. There might be four or five players on your list that might play one game for the year or two games for the year, and they may, may contribute. I remember when I was at Sydney, uh, Luke Vogels played maybe two games. In 2005, he kicked four goals maybe in the last quarter, to beat the Bulldogs by a kick. That helped Sydney get to the top four. And Jared Moore played two games. He kicked the match winner against Essendon. So no one remembers them, but they played a critical role in getting you up for the British. You know, getting you a top four and giving you an opportunity. So, But the cost of those games is huge. What would the average AFL player earns 300000 now. A player may be playing two games a year. Might be on 200, 250. So if you've got four or five of those players yeah, they, they might play five or six games between them, but it might be costing you eight or nine hundred. So they're the guys that are going to go. So does that money get redistributed back to the rest of the list, or is that a saving for the AFL? Ross Lyon on the Coach Podcast on the AFL website. This is crunch time for Robot Building Supplies. They've got it and deliver robotbuildingsupplies.com.au. So there's both the practical and the philosophical debate in this is if there is a move to sort of reduce lists from the notional 42 down to 35, who goes along the way? Is Does it short suit you? Is that redistribution of money to the top ends? Do the star players earn more and the, the, the median drops down is this is very much in your wheelhouse Liam Pickering and it feels like that this is probably going to be the, the agitation in reshaping the new economy and footy absolutely it will is working out where the money goes and you know personally and I know that all the agents are on the same board with this no one wants to see the lists from our perspective the players don't want to see the lists shortened or you know obviously cut and neither do the clubs so I mean I'm, we're hoping that it doesn't stay below 40 as a, as a general um industry that we want we, we want to see jobs for players we don't want to see smaller lists so that that's that's the general feel from players agents and clubs um but that may need, <laughs> may not be the case but yeah but liam is it your feeling that it's going to be inevitable that list sizes will will be cut or is that um putting the cart before the horse well at, at the moment it's looking that way but I, i'm that's putting the cart before the horse right as we sit here now because until they've done their due diligence and working out what the numbers are and how it's going to work, I mean, it certainly won't be one that the AFLPA will just accept. It'll be something that they'll need to, to work through with the with the players and, and you know, as I said, because it's all about jobs. Mm. And and the PA, Jared, for their part, want the AFL, obviously, to open up the books as best they can at the end of the year as well, which they did for the, um, the temporary pay cut, of course. But they want the AFL to provide the players, and by extension, the player managers too, with a, an accurate picture as they can about the forecasting as well, how much money exactly they anticipate will be lost to COVID-19 before they go down the path of, um, of, of uh, lists being cut and um, pay cuts and all the rest of it as well. And Gil, when we asked him uh, to his credit said there'll be some transparency required and, and the AFL would have no problem with that. So the, the two groups of players will be affected and pickers would defer to you here is there's a small group of players on each list who, who are strictly development and really don't have any prospect of playing in the current year but they're the development projects yep. and then there's the Ross Lyon group as your absolute reinforcements who are needed at some point in the year. So my my interpretation at the moment would be that whatever 
that number is around development as that'll need to be done elsewhere and that number of jobs would come off a list. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if that's going to be the case, well, we need to make sure that the development areas are fully supported because they won't develop if they're not in the proper system. So that, that's the reality. I mean, there's a, there's a gulf already between the AFL and the VFL. We know that from a standards perspective. You don't have to watch the games to realise what the difference is, the professional footballer versus the part-time footballer. So... If they're going to be in a situation where it's developing, well, we need to make sure that the development areas are very, very well supported so these guys can actually learn and, and, and get better. Alistair Clarkson's been on Fox Footy this morning and he's been asked about this, the, the national reserves, the under-19s competition. Where would the development be done? I think probably for the evenness of the competition and the way forward as, as a code, when we decided that we wanted to go a national competition and you know have as many as 18 clubs in the competition, then we needed a mechanism in the game, which was a salary cap and a draft, to provide an, an evenness and a parity across the game, albeit we haven't got parity with our um, with our fixture, but a lot of other areas there is. And so I think to go back to zones and, um, and under-19s and that sort of stuff would be hard. But in terms of the, the pathway uh, of talent, the best way, in my view, is to have an under-19s reserve seniors. Now, I don't think we can go back there, but just what it looks like um, is going to be um, – heavily discussed and debated amongst all the coaches and footy managers whilst we've got this pause uh, waiting around for um, for our footy to recommence. This is a really active debate at the moment. Mm. There are those who have long believed, and we spoke about the, the raising of the draft age and the like last week, but what, what should the pathway be and the notion put forward by the AFL to, to recraft the pathway from school to local to rep to, to draft pickers. Yeah, that's, it's it's and listening to Alistair there, you, you, he he knows it because he's been in it. Yeah, th- this is a thing we we came through that era. So the guys that are coaching now, most of those coaches played in an era where there was reserves. Most of them have come through the under nineteen system. Clarkson, Simpson, you go through them. They, most of them have come through where you got into a football club, Longmire. And you started off in the seconds. You were part of a club, and you, you had your own reserves team. Was coached by someone, you know. In our case at North Melbourne, it was Laurie Dwyer, coached at, you know Wayne Shawbush and John Kennedy were the coaches of the senior team. But you, the whole crew were there together, and you played before the main game. And the, sec, the senior blokes would watch the seconds guys running around uh, back in the back in the day. So when Alistair speaks of that, he, he speaks of it from experiencing it, and I think that's a it's a big difference to a lot of people that are now in, in positions of power that have actually never seen it. And now, now it's a long way back from where we are. And it'll, I don't think we'll – we certainly won't get the 19s and the reserves back like in that format. But there might be a chance to have an AFL reserves competition, that's for sure. Sam, this is very active, isn't it, behind the scenes? Oh, I was just going to say, Jared, this is as hotly debated at the moment and uh, worried about as any issues surrounding COVID-19 in clubland at the moment. Just what does the second tier look like and the pathways that Picker speaks about? And I keep coming back to that quote from Gil McLaughlin a few weeks ago now in an email sent out to clubs where he makes specific mention and, it, geez, it leapt off the page. And he said, there's a huge opportunity to build a bottom-up model that has been difficult historically to change because of entrenched structures. So if that speaks to anything, it's the second tier competition. And Ross Lyon was fascinating listening during the week because he said the AFL 
by definition should be a performance industry. But he said at the moment, it's performance and it's development. It's having to do both. And in an ideal world, Pix, I don't know, you shudder at the uh, work that would be required to set this up. And maybe it's impossible given the economics involved and the money required. But a national second tier competition. Would you like to see something set up in that regard? That would be the ideal scenario. There's no question about that. The ideal scenario would be that where it's difficult is the interstate teams. You know, we've got West Australia, the commission own, own the West Coast Eagles mm. for a start. Uh, they've got their own teams, like South Australia, like the Crows, where can they recruit from? Port Adelaide have got a whole history in their own right, you know, as the Port Adelaide Magpies. So that's where it becomes difficult. The NEFL competition, which which looks after all those various clubs now, you know, up the northern state clubs, Sydney and, and GWS and, and Brisbane, and the like, uh, they, they've got their own competition, but it's a sort of a ho-hum comp really compared to, you know, the VFL and the Sandful. So at the moment, it's all broken up into different areas and I'm not sure any of the clubs are getting true equal development in, the, in their lists um, because obviously, you know, injuries play a fairly big part in it, but the money's at the very top and because- the money's not at the, not at the lower level. That's the problem. Yeah, because, Jared, if you had some sort of uniformity around a, a strong, if it was a strong second-tier competition, you know, you speak to some clubs, they're almost resigned to the fact that lists are going to be cut back. Whether that's right or wrong remains to be seen, but they're throwing numbers around between 34 and 36 on a list. And if, the, if that was the case and the second-tier comp was strong and you had different recruiting windows from that second-tier comp and you could top up and you could... Get these players in on a you know on a needs basis, as it were, and they've had the grounding and they've had the development of the second tier. Then, you know, the opportunities would still be there for players. It would just look different. It's a really exciting conversation to have. If the, the difficulty is, is if if money is trying to be taken out of the industry, it's going to yeah. require yeah. a and big coaching. investment at that second yep. level. So, it might be counterintuitive, but. but- you could come up with the the exact right modern model rather than the one that's sort of evolved from, you know, how it's serviced a different competition to what it is now. Mm. And there is some talk about this soft cap I know we're going to get to shortly, but some clubs believing that the people that they're unfortunate enough to potentially lose in this period might be able to go back into a reformat, revamped, um, redesigned second-tier development competition and they'll be re-employed in this system that way. But, geez, uh, a lot of water, obviously, to go under the bridge. Mm. So how severe could the the cut to football department spending B is it got as sort of as low as half to, to what was it a figure of 4.7 that was floated keeping in mind that some of what's being floated at the moment is, mm. is the work in progress discussion I hope it's not that much because there are yeah. a lot of people that do great work in footy clubs and we, we're talking about development it's going to be hard to develop them if we don't have the staff to do it they're running out of time as it is you know they've got that many people doing a lot of jobs so if they're going to carve those jobs up uh, then you just really do wonder about these 18-year-old kids. If we want to keep the draft age at 18, which I hope we do, uh, they've got to have someone that's going to work with them to make them better because they're kids coming into a men's system and it's the elite system. So, you know, you do need, you know, the senior coach can't do everything. It's just simple as that. I mean, they don't have enough time in the day to do that. So from my perspective, I, I think it would be uh, it would be ludicrous to to carve too much out of the, of the soft cap to the, to the stage where... The players just aren't getting developed. I mean, we're, we're, we're then missing the point completely. 
Mm. This is the, Jared, the darker side of it for mine. You know, the, there's a real human side to this, obviously. I mean, this is jobs just walking out the door and people's livelihoods at stake here. So the figure that was bandied around for a long time was that 9.7 would become 6.7 million yeah. for, the, for the soft cap. But now there's some whispers this week that it'll actually be a lot worse than initially forecast. Nice. And the club I spoke to last night said they would had two sets of budgets going. One assuming it would come back to six million, and one assuming it would come back to five point five million, and then depending on who you speak to, as you say, Jared, it could be even more savage than that. And this, this is some dark stuff. I mean, this isn't like what list sizes might be, where it'd be almost you think impossible to cut it back to thirty four straight away because of contracts in place, and it might be staggered over a period of one, two, three years, and an amnesty period with lists. Mm. But this is going to be a guillotine coming straight down, and this is people walking, walking right out the door of a footy club in a matter of months. Yeah, that that's hardcore redundancy. That's that's a human toll in that. So, yeah, it's not all just talk on a spreadsheet. Uh, Sam Edmund and Liam Pickering are our Red Energy experts on crunch time today for Australian electricity and gas. Here's a few more memories of 95. I was, Scott, I was there in 95. The MCC members was absolutely heaving with people. A little-known fact was that Sheedy brought Jay Cocker to Collins from outside the emergencies. He kicked three goals, took a specky, and dominated. I was there in a corporate box. This is from Jack. Great game. Had a few, had a fair few beers. And we were in the lift down to the car park after the game. In got Sav Rocker. We all looked at each other and agreed to leave him alone. We have un- an unwritten rule that we don't harass players. We didn't want to enter into discussions. He didn't want to enter into discussions with a bunch of half-cup fans. As he got out, one of us broke our rule and just said, Great game, mate. You're a star. A truly great day. And this selling footy records as a 14-year-old, remember the big crowd and watching the second half for free. Also a Carlton man, happy with the draw. We'll talk Sam's new podcast, Uncovered, the Whispers in the Sky debate, which continues all these years on, absolutely unresolved, and other matters from footy during the week next on Crunch Time. What if I got on and said something to the effect of um, that'll teach them four points and 20 grand or something like that, 20,000 four points, something like that. And I heard this conversation, then I saw Tony Jones stand up face to face with his umpire, Matthew Head, and said, you can't say that. He alleges your reply was words to the effect of, now I know what it feels like to have a victory. But I was going to ask you if there was any other sort of conversation with Tony Jones whereby this confusion may be somewhat explained, but you're saying you didn't exchange words with him at all? No, no, so it wasn't a conversation with Tony. No, absolutely not. An extract from Uncovered, Sam Edmonds' new podcast, which is just lobbed on iTunes this morning. And in the most modern way, this is the best example I can give you of modern media consumption pickers. The first review has landed. It's gone up as five stars. And this is the commendation. Haven't listened yet, but reckon it could be good. Five stars. (laughs) That's the way to do it. I listened yesterday. It's terrific. It's such a good dissection of, of something that we live through. Yeah, well, I, I actually had a chat with Sammy about it. When did we speak? Sammy, Monday night. Yep. Monday night, and you were telling me about it. And I'd forgotten about it, to be honest. And when you, and I thought, oh, yeah, I do remember that. And you, you wanted to tell me that they've become pretty good mates now, Grant Thomas and Matthew Head. Is that right? Yeah, it's a fascinating byproduct of it. Now, just before I get into that, I really need to thank Joel Brooks, one of our gurus at Croc Media, for helping me tie it all together in, as you say, Jared, a modern uh, and a modern way and a, a good way to consume something now. But 
Yeah, they they got in touch about a decade after the fact, and Matthew Head went and spoke to uh, Grant Thomas at his house, and the two broke bread, and now they follow each other on Twitter. Uh, they have a massive differing of uh, opinion on their hang version on, of events. Hang on, hang on, They don't follow each other on Twitter, mate, because Grant Thomas doesn't follow anybody on Twitter. <laughs> he don't well, follow maybe, anyone. <laughs> that's true, actually. Maybe it's the other way around. Matty Head follows Tomo. But uh, Tomo's given him business advice down the years, so the two have had a few conversations over the journey, but... They just have a differing of opinion on one small matter, and that went right to the integrity of the game, of course, Jared, 15 years ago. Well, why would, well, it is, it's one of the biggest he said, she yeah. said that there is. It's, it's still inconceivable as you lay it out piece by piece with the Saints assistant coach, Mark Parker, uh, all the clips from Tony Jones of the time, um, Matthew Head's account. It, it's just... You ca- you cannot get the Twains to meet on this. It's amazing. Well, you can't. In my view, like what, what possible um, benefit was it for Tony Jones to make it up? That that's that's the way I look at it. It's just like why would he make it up? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that that's that. Some people say, and then some people say maybe Tony Jones heard the wrong person. Maybe it wasn't Matthew Head. Was there a conversation <laughs> at all? So we've been really careful just to lay it out and mm. let the listener decide. As you say, Jared, it's your classic he said, she said, <laughs> or was anything said at all, mind you. And it's the perfect storm because Matthew Head shouldn't have been on that plane, the umpire. Yep. He was only darting back to propose to his uh, girlfriend. <laughs> and Mitch Rentesis, the fan who scribbled it on his boarding pass, the key piece of evidence, he wasn't supposed to be there either. And Mark Parker, the St Kilda assistant, wasn't supposed to be there. He darted back. He had to get back quickly as well on the red eye. So all these people in the one cabin, that shouldn't have even happened. (laughs) I don't want to spoil it because it's terrific, but Mark Parker's account of meeting Tony Jones in the car park and then his account of the two investigators who came and their demeanour in his office is terrific. It's just for that alone. It's it's worth listening to, but it's really good. So uncovered, it's landed on iTunes this morning. Subscribe to that podcast. You get, can you give us a hint what the next one the lob is? We're having a look at the Melbourne Football Club, and geez, you could almost do a series on the Melbourne Football Club alone, particularly in modern times. I mean, not some happy stories there, but certainly some big ones. We're going to delve into one of the biggest ones, Jared. We're hopeful of getting it uh, out there on iTunes in the next week or so. There is a lot of work involved with these, but yeah. as Pickers was not, would know, because I've hassled him about the Buddy Franklin deal over the journey, <laughs> I've got ever. a fascination <laughs> with going back in time. Great stuff. It's terrific. Sam Edmund, Liam Pickering, our red energy experts for Australian electricity and gas. Let's bring in Dennis in Geelong into the conversation around list sizes and reserves and the like. Dennis, welcome. G'day, guys. How are you? Good, good. Um, look, I, I was going to talk about that because I think the second and reserves, like the reserves and the um, seniors, you know, that's something I remember and... Uh, whether that's feasible or not, like, who knows? But uh, the, the the other thing that a lot of people are forgetting in this whole debate about when things start and when things don't start and where, you know, if we're going to have a season or not and how it's going to look is local and metro footy, both at a senior, junior, women's, youth, girls level. Um, we already know that AFL Victoria have cut the salary cap by 50% um, across Victoria. So that means 50% cut. 
And, We're going to run um, out of time here, club. Dennis, but I can tell you that oh, that's going to be stitched into what happens after May 11, Sam, is to get the full lay of the land on what's happening from our leaders to the community. That, that will be the trigger for everything, including community sport. Yep, some new parameters put in place on uh, elite-level sport, Jared Scott Morrison saying, and obviously community sport and individual sport too, and hopefully we get some sort of uh, clarity and relaxation of those rules. It sounds as though we might. All right, so our Anzac Day edition of Crunch Time comes to a close. Liam Pickering, Sam Edmund have been the Red Energy experts for Australian electricity and gas. Uh, enjoy the afternoon, lads. Oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Val and Declare run at yeah, Flemington. Yeah, you should be too good for that <laughs> lot, I would have thought, uh, Jared. Lest we forget, gentlemen. Have a good yes, afternoon. Yes, lest we forget indeed. A lovely note on which to leave us. Crunch Time at midday each week throughout this lockdown phase. Have a good weekend. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.